WWE's fourth quarter 2021 earnings conference call. Leading today's discussion are Vince McMahon, WWE's chairman and CEO, Nick Khan, WWE's president and chief revenue officer, Stephanie McMahon, WWE's chief brand officer, and Frank Riddick, WWE's chief financial and administrative officer. Their remarks will be followed by a Q&A session. We issued our fourth quarter earnings release earlier this afternoon and have posted the release, our earnings presentation, and other supporting materials on our website. Today's discussion will include forward-looking statements. These statements reflect our current views, are based on various assumptions, and are subject to risks and uncertainties disclosed in our SEC filings. Actual results may differ materially, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Additionally, the matters we will be discussing today may include non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations of non-GAAP to GAAP information are set forth in our earnings release and presentation, which are available on our website. Finally, as a reminder, today's conference call is being recorded and the replay will be available on our website later today. At this time, it is my privilege to turn the call over to Vince. Welcome, everyone. As you know, we've generated a considerable increase in profit and revenue, uh, with revenue uh, over $1 billion, which is somewhat of a mark for us. During the course of the year, we reimagined our, our business, and reimagining our business is something, by the way, we do just about every month, um, if not every week around here. We're very, very flexible. Nick and staff are going to be talking about many of the uh, key achievements that we've, uh, we've made, and uh, we obviously remain focused on the uh, on our upcoming year of 2022, as well as years to come, with uh, working toward record revenue again, uh, as well as adjusted WIFTA and uh, what have you. So our, our performance, we think, uh, pretty much speaks for itself and speaks for the longevity we've had for so many years and the opportunities that are there for us uh, to grow uh, exponentially. So, Nick, take it away. Thanks very much, Vince, and thanks, everyone, for calling in. Before we jump into a bit of the future outlook for our business and what we make of the recent moves in the marketplace, we'd like to discuss some of the moves WWE has made over the last few months. Almost a year ago on a prior earnings call, we shared the news of our deal to license WWE Network and its premium live events and library in the U.S. to NBCU and Peacock. Some results to share with you from that deal regarding viewership. All of the 2021 Peacock numbers I'm going to mention here are compared to the pre-pandemic 2019 numbers on what was our standalone service WWE Network. For our July 2021 premium live event, Money in the Bank, with the return of live fans, viewership on Peacock was 25% higher than Money in the Bank on WWE Network in 2019. For our August 2021 premium live event, SummerSlam, viewership on Peacock was over 30% higher than SummerSlam in 2019. For our 2021 event in September, Extreme Rules, viewership on Peacock was 20% higher than Extreme Rules in 2019. In October 2021, we hosted our first international premium live event of the year from Riyadh, where we saw viewership on Peacock up 75% over our 2019 event there. And lastly, 
for our November 2021 Premium Live Event Survivor Series. Viewership on Peacock was almost 25% higher than Survivor Series in 2019. In terms of subs, over 3.5 million fully paid Peacock subscribers have watched WWE content since we moved our product over last March. As you recall, WWE Network had 1.1 million subscribers in the U.S. when we closed the Peacock deal. An expanded audience and viewership led by a strong in-ring product and the right partner and platform has created wins for all parties. More people are watching WWE Premium Live events than ever before. Our deal with Peacock also marked a strategic pivot for our company to fully focus on our wholly owned intellectual property and the completely unique content that Vince and WWE have created for the past 35 plus years. It's evident that the marketplace puts considerable value on our IP, which has allowed us to drive more value for existing partnerships and enter into a number of new categories. We currently have over a dozen scripted and unscripted projects sold based on our IP. Look for an announcement on each and every one of those in the not too distant future. Those are with existing content partners in the U.S., in addition to new buyers, networks, and streamers. This past quarter, we also executed and announced a number of new deals that drew further value from our IP. We moved to a new trading card partner, Panini, and saw a major increase in that deal. Following the success of our first NFT launch with The Undertaker, we struck a deal with Fox's Bento Box Creative Labs to launch an NFT marketplace. Initial art has come in for the first few drops. It's a mix of new and legendary superstars and will excite fans across generations. Look for an announcement on the launch date for that marketplace soon. We also announced our first deal in the lottery space with IGT, one of the preeminent gaming companies. Look for WWE-branded lottery tickets to start rolling out in a number of states later this year. Additionally, we extended our global deal with Mattel. That partnership is driven by WWE action figures and action figure accessories. This deal with Mattel goes back over a decade. Mattel's distribution channels and the reach WWE has results in our action figures in stores and on shelves in over 50 global markets. This new deal has driven a substantial increase from the toy sector, and the extension will result in even more growth. This is a further recognition of the value of RIP. As we closed our book of business in 2021, we quickly got back to work as our 2022 kicked off with our new premium live event, Day One, in prime time on New Year's Day from Atlanta. We added this new event to our schedule in place of our typical mid-December premium live event with the belief that a holiday date would attract more viewers and drive ticket sales and merchandise revenue at State Farm Arena in Atlanta as an attraction for both holiday travelers and locals. This belief proved to be correct. Not only was day one sold out, it was also one of our highest viewed premium live events on Peacock ever with viewership 60% greater than any December premium live event in WWE history. Last week, we kicked off our road to WrestleMania with Royal Rumble from the Dome at America's Center in St. Louis. 
With more than 44,000 in attendance, the event produced the strongest merchandise sales and second largest gate in Royal Rumble history. On Peacock, viewership was almost 45% higher than the pre-pandemic Royal Rumble in 2020. Our creative team put on an incredible show where we saw Ronda Rousey and Bad Bunny's surprise returns, as well as Johnny Knoxville's in-ring debut. What's notable here is that neither Bad Bunny nor Johnny Knoxville were looking to check off an item from their bucket list during a slow time of the year. Quite the opposite, both men are on the brink of major career moments with Bad Bunny's sold-out world tour that crashed Ticketmaster the day it went on sale, which also just expanded to a series of stadium shows a few weeks ago, and the premiere of Johnny Knoxville's film, Jackass Forever. Pop culture sensations and massive artists look to partner with WWE as a way to drive their businesses. Next up for our premium live events is our first major international event this year in Jeddah on Saturday, February 19th. A Saturday largely clear of event programming now that college football has come to an end. As many of you know, these large-scale international live events are key revenue drivers for our company and demonstrate WWE's global appeal. We couldn't be more pleased to get back to staging big shows internationally. Look for more on that as well in the not-too-distant future. Some further international news. Last week it was announced that Disney Plus Hotstar is the new home of WWE Network in Indonesia. This distribution deal follows the licensing model we use for WWE Network in the U.S., partnering with a leading streamer that has a large presence in the territory. Moreover, this deal deepens our relationship with Disney, as does our multi-episode series order, Rhonda's Places, with executive producer Peyton Manning, which premiered on ESPN Plus last week. This is Ronda Rousey's version of Peyton's Places in the combat sports space with WWE as executive producers. As you know, Disney is already one of our partners with our Hulu deal. Look for more in the international media rights space in the not-too-distant future as well. On the topic of gaming, last month we announced that WWE legend Rey Mysterio will be the cover superstar for our new video game, WWE 2K22 that will be released on March 11th. Stephanie McMahon will further discuss gaming in a moment. Before that, we wanted to share our point of view on further consolidation in the gaming sector. First, like many of you, we are not surprised by this continued consolidation. Microsoft is making its biggest acquisition in its 46-year history with its purchase of Activision Blizzard. Take-Two, one of our gaming partners, made its biggest acquisition in its 28-year history with its purchase of Zenga. Sony made moves to bolster its gaming division with its acquisition of Bungie. As Sony made it clear on their earnings call yesterday, we expect these companies to monetize the value of their newly acquired titles via scripted and unscripted content. The sector should end up with four, maybe five players emerging, and the winners will largely be dependent on their IP. As we've seen from Warner Discovery, Amazon MGM, and Univision Televisa, all of these are driven by content and distribution. This isn't just the major conglomerates. Penguin Random House and the New York Times have both made moves in recent months to scale their businesses through strategic acquisitions. We are even seeing theme park consolidation with the SeaWorld play on Cedar Fair. All said, we believe this consolidation trend will continue in 2022 
We're all keeping our eyes on DISH and DirecTV, Nexstar, EA, and Lionsgate as they look to possibly enter into meaningful M&A conversations. Again, all content or platform plays. Finally, we want to touch on the latest movement in the sports rights space. We've discussed in the past how one of the biggest acquisition drivers for streamers is live rights. It's why Amazon, Peacock, Paramount Plus, and ESPN Plus and Hulu have spent billions over the past year to bring top-tier rights to their services. ESPN alone closed seven major deals over the course of 10 months. Amazon, as we all know, recently spent over $10 billion to be in business with the NFL, and that deal is starting a season early. NBC used $2.7 billion extension of the EPL was largely a peacock play, with most of the inventory slotted for the streamer. Viacom CBS in its first year has recognized the value of live rights, shifting its UEFA Champions League programming to Paramount Plus on a near-exclusive basis and picking up rights for Serie A in the Europa League. We discussed Apple three quarters ago. It's just a matter of time for Apple. We all saw Netflix's Tricky Friday a few weeks ago. It's just a matter of time for Netflix. All of these aforementioned companies are more incentivized now to license content at increased prices from content originators. In sum, with our company focus on extricating value from our IP across all lines of business, matched with a marketplace that is hungry to partner with and build around premium brands, we couldn't be more optimistic to drive further growth in 2022 and beyond. And with that, I'd like to turn the call over to my colleague and friend, Stephanie McMahon. Thanks, Nick, and good evening to everyone on the call. Nick concluded his remarks by speaking about the value of WWE IP. In addition to the new deals being executed for global media rights and consumer products, WWE superstars are in high demand from the biggest sports properties, studios, and media outlets. Earlier this month, Sasha Banks starred in the cold open for ESPN's College Football National Championship. That game saw an average audience of over 22.6 million viewers. In November, Drew McIntyre presented at the MTV EMAs, the Europe Music Awards, hitting international markets across Europe, LATAM, and North America. And in October, Big E starred in the cold open of what has been called the greatest heavyweight title fight in decades, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, that aired on ESPN Plus and Fox Sports Pay-Per-View. Paramount Studios used WWE to promote their release, Jackass Forever, starring Johnny Knoxville. Knoxville's involvement began on SmackDown, December 10th, and culminated with Knoxville wrestling in the Royal Rumble match. Knoxville spoke about the Royal Rumble and beating that low-down-and-dirty Sami Zayn on Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Late Late Show with James Corden, and posted WWE-related content across social media, garnering over 12 million video views. The Royal Rumble premium live event took place at the Dome at America Center in St. Louis, with surprise appearances from Grammy Award-winning artist and I would say part-time WWE superstar Bad Bunny as well as the baddest woman on the planet, Ronda Rousey, who won the Women's Rumble match and is headed to WrestleMania. As Nick mentioned, Royal Rumble 2022 saw a 45% increase in viewership versus 2020, the last time we had an event with fans, and was the most socially engaging program across all platforms. 
The day of the Royal Rumble Premium Live event also marks the highest usage of the Peacock platform to date. Additionally, we launched a new sponsorship with DoorDash, who co-presented with 2K, one of our biggest gaming partners. For two weeks prior to the event on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, and during the Royal Rumble Premium Live event itself, we aired the WWE 2K22 trailer and announced the pre-order pre for our franchise simulation game, WWE 2K22, which will officially launch on March 11th. While it is still very early in the process, according to our partners, thus far, all indications are very positive. Additionally, we saw a 14% increase in the performance of our mobile games year over year, with games like 2K's WWE Supercard, 2K's highest grossing mobile game with more than 24 million downloads to date, and Scopely's Champions. With over 50 million installs, Champions saw its best quarterly performance in the game's history in Q4 2021. Gaming is a focus for WWE as roughly 85% of our audience self-identifies as gamers, and gaming itself is one of the ways today's audience connects and socializes. We are even more optimistic as we look at YouTube and Netflix launching their own gaming initiatives, and as Nick mentioned earlier, Microsoft and Take-Two's acquisitions of Activision Blizzard and Zynga respectively. The next generation of fans and superstars is a huge priority for WWE. In December, as a part of our evolving talent development strategy, we launched our NIL, or Name Image Likeness Program, allowing the sponsorship of collegiate athletes, or what we call Next in Line. The inaugural NIL class includes 16 athletes from 13 universities, seven conferences, and four sports. We are looking for elite athletes with big personalities, some of whom already have a strong branded presence on social media like John Seaton, who plays football for Elon University with a TikTok following of 1.6 million, or the Cavender Twins, who play basketball at Fresno State and have a TikTok following of nearly 4 million. Never before has there been such a clear pipeline to becoming a WWE superstar. Think about all the collegiate-level athletes who won't make it to the NFL, NBA, WNBA, or the Olympics. What other jobs are available to continue an athletic career if your sport is shot put or hammer throwing? Becoming a WWE superstar is an opportunity to not only continue your athletic career, but learning how to build your own brand. The first signee, Olympic gold medalist and reigning NCAA national champion Gable Stevenson, has already been drafted to the Raw roster when he has finished with his senior year at the University of Minnesota. WWE has a lot to offer these athletes today, amplifying their presence across all WWE platforms. According to third-party source YouGov, WWE has more total fans 18 to 34 than the NFL, MLB, NBA, UFC, NHL, and NASCAR when you factor in our audience across all platforms. WWE's YouTube channel has 83.7 million subscribers significantly more than all major U.S. sports franchises combined. The next biggest is the NBA at 17.4 million. At year-end, WWE's Facebook followers were also the highest among any sports league and had the highest engagement, with year-over-year -year revenue increasing approximately 225% and 
and hours watched more than doubling. On TikTok, we launched our first LATAM account and within weeks had over 500,000 followers. And we remained the number one sports brand on TikTok with 15.1 million followers. Across all social platforms combined, we had 50 billion total views, earning tens of millions of additional revenue. On our last call, I spoke about WWE's unique ability to break through the clutter for brands and partners and amplify that messaging through our strong reach across platforms. In Q4 at Survivor Series, this creativity was on full display for two brands. Pizza Hut trended during the night as the street profits made their entrance to the ring carrying a box of piping hot Pizza Hut pizza and a checkered tablecloth saying, we got sponsored. During the match, the audience actually started to chant, we want pizza, which is not something we can ever guarantee a partner, but a demonstration of how successful integrations can be when they are done with a fan mindset. This was complemented with another first-of-its-kind integration involving the presenting partner of Survivor Series, Netflix. Netflix returned to WWE to promote one of their biggest movies of the year, Red Notice, starring none other than WWE Hall of Famer, The Rock. A storyline loosely mirroring the film's plot ensued involving our chairman and CEO who plays the character of Mr. McMahon. The content delivered half a billion impressions and 20 mil million video views across platforms. These partnerships and more drove sales and sponsorship revenue up nearly 30% during the quarter. We look forward to continuing to strengthen and grow the WWE brand across all lines of business and drive value for our shareholders. And now, I'll hand it over to our CFO, Frank Riddick. Thank you, Stephanie. There are several key topics which we'd like to review today. These include discussion of our financial performance, the progress of key initiatives, and our business outlook. In 2021, we generated record revenue of nearly $1.1 and record adjusted OEBDA of $327 million, which exceeded the high end of our guidance. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Adjusted OIBDA increased 14%, primarily due to higher revenue and profit from the distribution of network programming on Peacock. The contractual escalation of rights fees from our flagship shows, Raw and SmackDown, and the return of a ticketed audience to our live events. The growth in revenue and profit were partially offset by higher television and event-related production expense, which derived in part from the lower cost of producing televised content from our performance center in Orlando for much of the prior year. 
Additionally, adjusted OIBDA reflected higher staff-related costs, including management incentive compensation, resulting from our improved operating performance in the year. Throughout the year, we continued to create original content, producing more than 2,400 hours of content for television, network, and digital platforms. We expanded our reach across new platforms such as Peacock, TikTok, and Spotify, and established new sponsor and product partners such as Blockchain, Creative Labs, and DraftKings. During the fourth quarter, we had strong performance across our business segments as we engaged a wider audience with distribution on new digital platforms including Peacock and saw the continued return of fans at our live events. Revenue increased 30% to $310.3 million, driven by the timing of our large-scale international event crown jewel, as well as higher ticket and venue merchandise sales associated with the return to live event touring beginning in July. Adjusted OIBDA increased 90% to $97.2 million, as the impact of the growth in revenue was partially offset by the increase in management incentive compensation. To review our business performance in the quarter, let's turn to page three of our presentation, which shows revenue, operating income, and adjusted OIBDA contribution by segment as compared to the prior year quarter. Looking at our media segment, adjusted OIBDA increased 54% as the contribution of our large-scale international event and the contractual escalation of right fees from the distribution of Raw and SmackDown were partially offset by a decrease in network revenue and an increase in management incentive comp. The decrease in network revenue was driven by the timing of revenue attributed to the delivery of WWE network content to Peacock in the quarter, as compared to the recognition of subscription revenue in the prior year quarter. Although Peacock revenue was down from the prior year quarter, that decline was a function of the underlying accounting for revenue recognition related to our Peacock contract. Our Peacock contract generates favorable economics relative to the prior subscription model notwithstanding some variability in the revenue recognition related to our premium live events. Importantly, since transitioning to Peacock, network viewership of our premium live events has increased 42% from their prior performance on what was our direct-to-consumer network service. Now let's turn to our live events business as shown on page 5 of our presentation. Adjusted OIBDA from our live events improved $8.3 based on a $19.4 increase in revenue with the return to live event touring. As a reminder, we did not stage any live events with ticketed fans during the prior year fourth quarter. Since we returned to live event touring, we've experienced heightened demand for our live events. During the fourth quarter, our 48 events in North America attracted average attendance of 5,200 fans, which was down from the third quarter, but roughly on par with 2019. In our consumer product segment, Adjusted OIBDA increased 42%, or $3.8 million, with the growth attributable to our franchise video game and, a higher and higher sales of merchandise at our live event venues. Sales of merchandise on our e-commerce site, WWE Shop, declined, in part due to a tough comparison to an elevated COVID-related sales in the prior year quarter. For our consumer products business, the year was highlighted by new partnerships, including those mentioned earlier, as well as IGT, to develop WWE-branded lottery games, Igloo, and Swag. While developing these partnerships, we continue to produce one of the top-selling action figure toys and further develop the collectibles category with sales of bobbleheads led by our partner, Funko. Historically, video games have represented one of the most dominant product categories for WWE, and we look forward to the launch of a new franchise game 
with Take-Two Interactive on March 11th this year. Now let's turn to WWE's overall cash generation as shown on slide 7 of the presentation. In 2021, we generated approximately $139 million in free cash flow as compared to $292 million in the prior year. Higher net income was more than offset by a decrease in non-cash adjustments as well as the timing of collections associated with our large-scale international event and WWE network revenues, and to a lesser extent, an increase in capital expenditures, the majority of which was related to the construction of our new headquarters. Notably, during the year, we returned $202 million of, dollars of capital to our shareholders, including approximately $166 million in share repurchases and $36 million in dividends paid. To date, we've repurchased $249 million of stock, 4.6 million shares, representing approximately 50% of the authorization under our $500 million share repurchase program. As of December 31st, 2021, WWE held approximately $416 million in cash and short-term investments. Debt totaled $223 million, including $201 million associated with the carrying value of our convertible notes. We have no amounts outstanding under our revolving line of credit and estimate related debt capacity of approximately $200 million. Looking ahead over the next years, we believe that WWE remains well positioned to take advantage of significant growth opportunities. These include increasing the production and monetization of content, leveraging our celebrity talent and world-class production capability to fuel new content and product offerings, and capitalizing on our expanding global audience to support growth across all our business lines. We believe our long-term outlook is supported by the rising value of live sports content, increasing spend by streaming platforms, on live and sports to retain and acquire customers, increasing brand spend with media companies that deliver reach and fan engagement, and increasing premium for celebrities and hit content, fueling new IP monetization opportunities, and the growth of media and entertainment in international markets. In 2022, we are projecting another year of record revenue, with growth driven by the full year impact of ticketed live events, the staging of additional large-scale international events, escalation of rights fees for the company's flagship programs, and monetization of new original series. Additionally, we're planning for a significant increase in WWE's operating expense base associated with a higher level of activity in the coming year. As these expenses support the full year return of live event touring, expanded global production, and the development of new content, they should contribute to higher revenue and profit in the near term and strengthen our fan engagement increasing the value of our content and WWE's long-term growth potential. Accordingly, we have targeted an adjusted OIBDA range of 360 to 375 million, an all-time record, which is up 10 to 15 percent from 2021 adjusted OIBDA of 327.1 million. As revenue growth is partially offset by the increase in production content-related and other expenses. We previously discussed our total projected capital expenditures to support our workplace strategy, as well as maintain and enhance our infrastructure. In 2021, WWE had total capital expenditures of $39 million, which included approximately $17 million to build out our new headquarter facility, with the remainder primarily focused on strengthening our production and enterprise technology. For 2022, we estimate total capital expenditures of 280 to 310 million 
including construction spending of approximately 235 to 255 million. As shown on page 10 of our presentation, we estimate that total capital expenditures related to the new headquarters facility through 2023 will be approximately 270 to 300 million. We expect the total project spend will be partially offset by tenant improvement allowances, tax credits, and proceeds from the sale of other real estate assets. Total net cost of the company's new headquarters through completion, that is net of these items, is estimated within a range of 160 million to 180 million. This range includes expenditures of approximately 70 million for IT equipment and broadcast, broadcast production technology that had been accelerated as part of the new headquarters project, but likely would have been spent in the absence of this project. Excluding these costs yields a net incremental investment of 90 to 110 million. I'd like to briefly summarize some of the significant benefits that support this investment, which are summarized on page 11 of our presentation. New headquarters will provide expanded world-class media production facilities that enhance our ability to deliver high-quality content globally. It will consolidate four current facilities and substantially all of our employees into one location, increasing collaboration and cooperation across our businesses. It will also provide an optimized workplace and technology to attract, retain, and engage employees. Importantly, it will provide for future growth while creating operational efficiencies. You should note that we expect cap total capital expenditures will return to approximately 4 to 5 percent of revenue once construction of our new headquarters has been completed. These expenditures would be at the low end of our historic range of approximately 4 to 7 percent of revenue and are predominantly to maintain or improve existing infrastructure. As we look to the first quarter of 2022, we estimate first quarter 2022 adjusted OIBDA of 90 to 100 million, which represents an increase of approximately 7 to 19 percent from the prior year quarter. The estimate reflects substantial revenue growth from the staging of a large-scale international event for which the comparable event occurred in the fourth quarter of 2021 and the impact of WWE's continued return to live event touring. We also anticipate that the first quarter growth will be partially offset by the absence of one-time revenue recognition associated with the Peacock contract, as well as an increase in operating expenses, including higher production and content-related costs, as well as other activity-based expenses. For the fourth quarter and full year 2021, WWE generated better-than-expected adjusted OEBD results reflecting robust demand for our events and increased consumption of programming across platforms. In 2022, key initiatives that could have, a meaningful, that could have meaningful implications for WWE's long-term growth and shareholder value creation, including the licensing of WWE network and international markets, monetization of new original series, the licensing of raw second window rights, further increases in sponsorship sales, and the continued execution of our stadium strategy for our premium live events. We look forward to updating you on the progress on these initiatives in the coming year. This concludes our remarks, and I'll now turn it back to Seth. Thank you, Frank. Operator, we're ready for Q&A. Please open the lines for questions. Thank you. If you would like to signal with questions, please press star 1 on your touchtone telephone. If you're joining us today using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, that will be star one if you would like to signal with questions. 
star 1, please. And our first question will come from Curry Baker with Guggenheim. Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, thanks for the questions. So first one, this is probably for Frank or Nick. Your uh, core content rights fee stepped up uh, $12 million sequentially or, or 9.4% year over year. Um, I know you have the U.S. rights. Uh, that escalator kicks in in the fourth quarter. Can you help us with any additional color there? Um, were there any renewals or one-time items to call out? Not on the core content rights, no no one-times. And we you know have the, the escalation that's built into the contract that we signed uh, a few years ago, so it will continue to step up. Okay, so 153 is kind of the new run rate with just the escalators kicking in. Okay, I just wanted to double check that. Um, and then my second question is probably for, for Stephanie or, or Nick. Um, you know, on, sponsor for, on sponsorship, I know you've framed uh, the overall opportunity as, you know, I think $100 million plus. It's an area that I think we all agree you or have historically under-monetized on. Uh, can you help us think about, uh, you know, what you hope to achieve this year, um, maybe any, any benchmarks, and then what, if anything's baked into the guidance um, for new sponsorship business? Absolutely. I can take that, Curry, and thank you for the question. Um, there, to your point, there's no reason why we won't be in the hundreds of millions over the next few years. Any guidance is already baked into the 2022 projections. Um, and we are, you know, unlocking new assets, uh, transitioning the business model from contractual to transactional. We're leveraging our unique content opportunities to really engage audiences across all platforms and utilizing our talent truly as, as influencers and building that brand moat around that IP. Great. Thanks for the questions, guys. And our next Operating. question. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, next question, please. Thank you. Our next question will come from Eric Handler with MKM Partners. Good evening. Thanks for the question. Um, one question for, for Nick and then one for Frank. Um, Nick, I'm, I'm curious, you know, it, it was interesting to see the, the Disney Plus deal with uh, in Indonesia for the, uh, to license the network. Uh, I'm curious, as you think about Disney Plus covering many countries internationally, you've got Discovery now with, you know, covering uh, multiple countries with uh, Eurosport and Discovery Plus, and obviously there's many other multi-country players. Um, why start with a one-country deal, and are you looking more to sort of bl do more blanket-type deals uh, for, to license the WWE Network? Yeah, we're, we're looking region by region, and part of the region by region approach is country by country uh, as to what partner makes the most sense in that particular territory. So as I mentioned earlier, look for more uh, countries to be announced in, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but that APAC region, we thought Disney was particularly strong there in Indonesia. Uh, and again, even with the, um, the Sky uh, Showtime uh, approval having come in, uh, a couple of days ago on those two entities working together in different territories around the world. Now you have really the U.S.-based companies expanding all uh, at the same time, uh, give or take. So we wanted to wait for that, and, and I think we're going to be in good shape in a couple of months. Great. Um, and then, Frank, I, I know you don't give revenue guidance, but I'm curious on the EBITDA growth that you, EBITDA growth you are 
uh, projecting, uh, will that come, will you be able to expand margins uh, along with that growth? Uh, for, well, for next year, we think our margins are at the adjusted OIBDA level will actually be down slightly. Um, part of that, as we mentioned in the, the speech, was that we have the full cost of going back to live touring and producing content, uh, but we're also making in investments in the business that we think will generate long-term returns. So slight degradation in margins for next year. Thank you. And our next question will come from Brandon Roth with Lightshed Partners. Brandon, are you there? Again, your line is open. Please go ahead with your questions. Again, Mr. Ross, your line is open. Please go ahead with your questions. Justin, why don't we go to the, the next person in the queue and we can come back to Brandon in a moment. Uh, thank you. Our next question will come from Ben Swinburne with Morgan Stanley. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Ben. Oh, hey, Seth. Great. Um, I had two questions, uh, sort of a longer term one and more about uh, sort of the near term on Peacock. So, so longer term, I want to get the team's view on opportunities around the metaverse and AR, VR, and I know it can get pretty sci-fi pretty quick, but when I think about WWE for decades, you've extended the business and the brand into new markets, both physical and digital. And, you know, I, I could see a huge opportunity for WWE as, as we move into immersive digital environments. Is this an area you guys are focused on or excited about or investing in and anything you would be looking for as you look at, you know, maybe even rights deals on this front as you look out over time? Uh, maybe I'll, I'll just let, leave that one there, and I'll, I'll follow up after you guys uh, take a shot at it if you have a view. Great, Ben. This is Steph. Uh, thank you again for the question. And yes, we are absolutely exploring the metaverse um, as a as an opportunity for WWE, especially as the theory unfolds that that's really where more and more people are going to go to connect and socialize. WWE is a community-based business. It's all about our fans coming together to share this experience. We think there's huge opportunities to expand upon that um, in the metaverse itself. In terms of our approach, we're doing our due diligence. We're meeting with various different partners. We're learning as much as we can. We don't want to be hasty in this space. That being said, we certainly don't want to be behind. We always like to be slightly ahead of the curve. So it is something we are actively involved in and investigating and looking into. Thank you, Stephanie. And then my follow-up is maybe a little less interesting, but I was wondering if you guys would help us think about the impact from the Peacock uh, deal in 22 versus 21. Any comment maybe for Frank on sort of revenues or costs year on year? You mentioned the accounting has some volatility to it. I'm just wondering if there's anything you could do to help us think about the year-over-year -year impact of Peacock as we move into year two in 2022. Sure. Um, well, in, in 2021, when we signed the deal, just given the nature of the contract terms as well as revenue recognition requirements under GAAP, we, we recognized a significant chunk of revenue up front related to our IP that was uh, licensed to Peacock. So uh, in 2022, we won't have that. Um, and in addition, the way that uh, we recognize revenue is dependent on the timing and number of uh, premium live events. 
so that that can change how much revenue we recognize. Um, but I think you know net of those items we expect uh, an increase in peacock revenue in the year. Um, so it's and we can talk a little bit uh, more about this on you know on a separate call if you like to get into the details of the accounting. But that's the puts and takes. Um, the contract also under the accounting has an escalation in it um, by design uh, for the for the accounting. So that's a plus in 2022. So slightly up in 2022, notwithstanding the uh, upfront in 2021. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Our next question will come from Stephen Cahal with Wells Fargo. Thanks. Um, maybe just first a couple of questions on the 2022 guidance. Um, I'm wondering what type of media OPEX growth is implied in there. That's always a tough one to model, so any commentary on that? Second, sorry if I missed this, should we assume two large-scale international events? And then I think you mentioned the other content monetization is one of the drivers of OIBIDA growth in, in fiscal 22. Um, what can we read into that? And is that the international deals that are still to be signed or is that stuff that's already on contract? So any future international digital rights would, would be atop that. Thank you. So I don't think we're gonna give any guidance you know, specifically on media spend, although it, because it, it, it um, I will just say that it's largely, you know, the increase in media is largely a function of the cost of going to full year touring and some of the bigger international events that we have in the plan for next year. And yes, we do have a uh, plan for, for at least two large international events um, next year. What was the third part of your question? Uh, the, the other content monetization that I think you've talked about, um, is that digital rights? Still to be contracted, or or would a future digital rights deal be atop the current guidance? Well, the the two things that we're really referring to there, one are the some of the new content we're creating for new partners. Um, those are not announced yet, so we're not going to speak to that. Um, in addition, we do have the Hulu deal that's up next year. Um, I mean this year, so those would be the two items. We're not. There's other opportunities um, internationally. Um, with respect to the network and um, other con other uh, content deals internationally as well. Great, thank you. By the way, Stephen, just just quickly on the uh, international large scale events, what, what, why just limit it to two? Let's let's see how it looks in the next uh, couple of months. Great point, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will come from David Karnofsky with J.P. Morgan. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Uh, just one for Nick or Stephanie. You know, can you discuss in more detail the next in line program? Just interested to know how this is, you know, kind of different or improved relative to the way you've traditionally recruited talent, you know, from some of the regional or smaller promotions. Uh, absolutely, David. Um, this is Steph again, and, and thank you for the question. It, it is uh, absolutely an evolution of our process. You know, the NIL program, I think, offers, offers WWE more opportunity than any other brands who are partnering with these collegiate athletes because it is such a recruiting tool. Um, you have, you know, elite-level college athletes with big brands and personalities that, you know, otherwise wouldn't necessarily have a path forward. Think about how many people actually make it into the NFL or how many people actually make it into the NBA, et cetera. It's a very, very small pool, and you're left with some incredibly talented athletes who really have no options 
to move forward with their athletic careers, save for WWE. The NIL program now offers that pathway. We have a recruiting website tied to the NIL program, and not only the athletes that we have under contract, but now all of the athletes who follow those athletes are going to be coming into the pipeline, and we have been seeing uh, a number of, of college athletes signing up on our tryout uh, site. I would also add into that, David, just off the top of our heads, Big E, University of Iowa, Roman Reigns, Georgia Tech, Dwayne Johnson, University of Miami, Goldberg, University of Georgia. It's those folks just one step away from making it to the NFL who are amazing athletes, big personalities that we think can cross over. So why not get involved in their lives at an early stage? It made all the sense in the world to us. Okay, and then Nick, this morning your partner, you know, in the UK, BT Sport, they announced a new joint venture to pursue sports rights. Just wanted to get, you know, your early thoughts on how this potentially impacts that market and maybe the timing of, you know, negotiating network distribution in there. Yeah, look, it's as we know, there's now more buyers in that region. So whether, you know, the zone obviously did not uh, acquire BT, as we all read, and as I'm sure we were all following. And now we'll see if the joint venture comes to fruition and what that looks like. Uh, BT's been an amazing partner uh, to us, but WWE Network there is still agnostic. So that's a you know territory where we're having uh, deep conversations with a number of different parties. Thank you. And our next question will come from Jason Bazinet with City. I just had a question on media rights in terms of how you guys think about the fair value of your content to the you know, legacy linear world versus the direct-to-consumer world. Because it just, I can imagine as you're thinking about the value of your content on the linear side, it has a certain set of variables, you know, PPV penetration, affiliate fees, viewership. But it seems like the calculus would be very, very different in a direct-to-consumer world in how you think about the value you deliver. Do you mind, without talking numbers or specific partners, just walking through some of the, the compare and contrast the key variables? Absolutely, Jason. A couple things. On the linear side, I think we've all collectively seen uh, that scripted content is no longer necessarily working on broadcast uh, television, certainly not in the way that it used to work. You're seeing the premium scripted creators shifting to streaming. Obviously, that started with uh, Netflix uh, years ago. So there's more openings in the broadcast linear space for live and unscripted content. At the same time, in basic cable, uh, you're seeing live work there as effective as it's working in broadcast television. Scripted content there also struggling a little bit, which creates more open real estate. Again, your top scripted content creators have, have really moved to, to streaming. Then you look at streaming and you look at even the deals that I had mentioned earlier in the call, um, all of those are almost exclusively in the streaming space. So we all know from a few years ago that it was going to be the streaming wars and that there would be a lot of beneficiaries from that. We'd like to think that we're one of those with our Peacock deal, that that will grow at the same time broadcast and basic cable has been good to us. And people are still tuning in, again, other than scripted content in meaningful ways. So we think we have uh, the 
it fair to say that it's more about your ability to deliver net ads for a partner? Is that, is that what ultimately should be driving? I think advertiser-friendly content certainly helps uh, on broadcast network. It definitely helps on basic cable. If you look at where some of the streaming models are going with ad-supported tiers, you need content that can obviously be sold to advertisers. So we think our Peacock deal, which we're thrilled with, uh, we think we've outperformed uh, on that platform in a you know short period of time over nine to ten months. So subscription side, we, we think we deliver. Free-to-air side, we think we deliver with advertising-friendly content. Basic cable, we'd like to think we deliver as well. Very helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. And we'll go to Brandon Ross with Lightshed Partners. Hey, guys. Hopefully you can hear me this time. Yes, we got you. Thanks, Brandon. Okay. Thankfully. Okay. Um, so I had to drop out for a minute. Not sure if any of these questions were asked, but first, um, was wondering if you gave an update on how you're feeling and how things are progressing with the raw second window renewal. We, we did not. Uh, we were not asked that question. Happy to answer it here. Uh, we, we feel as good about that as we did our raw and SmackDown deals a few years ago, and as we did our WWE Network deal with Peacock. Great. And then, Nick, in your introductory remarks, you opined on consolidation across TMT. Um, I, I know that you're strategic when you write these scripts, so I was wondering if you were trying to message something there, or really how, how do you see WWE as a possible strategic piece in this uh, M&A wave we're in? Then I have one more. Sure. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, I don't know how strategic uh, it is, just how, how organic it is. What, what the message we're trying to convey subtly or overtly is it appears to us that every platform, every business wants to be in business in a material way with people who can create content, which we've been doing here, as you know, for 35 years plus. So we think, you know, there's even more buyers now, as we all know, than there were three years ago, we think in two years from now, there's going to be even more buyers than there are now. So that was, uh, that was what was reflected in those comments. Gotcha. And then finally, um, in your introductory remarks, you also talked about the importance of the extra engagement that you've been able to build through Peacock um, versus um, when you own the WWE Network. And your last Raw SmackDown deal you did with Fox, and one of the reasons was because it, it, was, it provided you with the widest uh, possible distribution. And as you look towards your renewals for Raw and SmackDown coming up in a couple of years, do you think that broadcast is still going to be the right avenue to pursue, or with all of um, the eyeballs that are shifting to streaming, do you think that a streamer might be the way to go? couple things. You know, number one, we're, we're extremely pleased with our partnership with Fox, and obviously we believe in what they're doing. Um, if just off the top of our head, if you look at where the playoffs and finals of these sports live, and keep in mind, our playoffs and finals, our premium live events are living on Peacock, our regular season, if you will, on Fox and USA. 
uh, Super Bowl upcoming in a week and change, NBC, NBA Finals in uh, June, ABC. Uh, the Final Four matchup, a combination of Turner and CBS. So we still still think that you're seeing you know big event programming there. We won't dismiss or discount those buyers as to where the future is going. We think they're real. We also realize the world that we're all living in, where premium dollars are being paid for premium content, certainly not only on Peacock, but on all of the other streamers as we know. When Vince, Steph, and company launched WWE Network in 2014, they really just had to be the second best after Netflix to be the second best in the world. And if you want to slide Hulu in there, then third best in the world. Now, as you know, it's a cluttered marketplace. So it made all the sense in the world to partner up with Peacock on that one, and we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see where we are uh, come the next rights deal. And your Super Bowl is on Peacock, right? Yes, sir. So. WrestleMania. You coming this yeah. year, or are you not attending? I, um, I hope to be there. Perfect. Hope to be there. We'll see. Thank you. We have, special, <laughs> we have a special pile driver ready for you from the other table. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet you do. You know. Yeah. I'll stay away from Vince. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, operator, we have time for one last question, please. Thank you, and that question will come from David Joyce with Barclays. Thank you. Uh, a couple questions, please. First, on the international event that you held back in October, uh, was there anything uh, different about the economics there compared to your, your typical events uh, that you've been holding uh, in that uh, region uh, historically? Uh, and then secondly, on Peacock, um, are you uh, generating any uh, revenue and uh, EBITDA from uh, any outperformance metrics maybe that you have contractually agreed to with Peacock? Thank you. So on the international event, no, the economics were very similar to the other events, international events we held. Um, and no, the Peacock deal is a contractual deal with you know fixed amount of revenue. There's no escalation. Um, you know there is uh, uh, the ability to earn more sponsorship money, but not not uh, based on viewership. Okay, that's all for me. Thank you. All right. Well, um, thank you, everyone. Uh, we appreciate you listening to the call today. Uh, if you have any follow-up questions, please don't hesitate to contact me. Uh, operator, you can conclude the call now. Thank you. That does conclude today's conference. We do thank you for your participation. Have an excellent day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.